0: The theme of my whole career has been gathering. It took me a long time to figure that out. I can't say it was intentional, you know, 20 years ago, but I've been gathering across three different disciplines, as as you mentioned. One, to entertain, to create experiences to help people laugh and maybe feel something. I really realized during that time I wanted to develop people in real life instead of characters on a page, which took me to the learning and development world.
1: Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces diversify our thinking and achieve significant HR success.
2: Hello and welcome back to the
1: HR L&D podcast. My name is
2: Nick Day and I am CEO of JGA Recruitment, a specialist HR recruitment company. Now today I am joined by a screenwriter turned organisational psychologist, Lindsay Kaplan. Now she helps organisations script and then re script their employee experiences. To give you some background, Lindsay has a background in script writing. She first began her career as a comedy writer in Hollywood on shows such as Curb Your Enthusiasm and Malcolm in the Middle, among others. However, she then started scripting for education companies like DreamWorks Animation and McKinsey. and The experiences she gathered really helped her to develop a career to become an organizational psychologist and head of talent development for successful Silicon Valley companies like Zendesk, Credit Karma, and Flexport. Now the lessons she's learned along the way have really helped her to develop a fantastic proprietary method that she now uses to help HR leaders like you listening to this podcast to understand why the change they want to make isn't necessarily being embraced and what you can do instead to really make sure that the change you want to introduce really does stick. So right now, Lindsay is absolutely doing that. She's helping HR professionals and business leaders just like you to script the change efforts for the effect they really want. And this is important because research right now shows that organizational change fails 70% of the time. So without the, the me tell you why that might be happening, let's find out why and welcome Lindsay Kaplan to the hr and podcast. How are you doing today, Lindsay? Hey, Nick.
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me
2: absolute pleasure i know it's early morning for you on the other side of the pond shall we say i'm going to start with this first question something i ask all of my guests which is this what do the words human resources mean to you
0: you know it makes me think of my screenwriting background it makes me think of this show on netflix right now called human resources i don't know <laughs> if you've seen it anyway it's an animated show what it makes me think of more is just the silicon valley trope of changing hr into the word people and how much better that sounds so that's the first thing I think about is just the immediate brain switch. to want to call
2: it people. Instead. Perfect. Perfect. And it's a great start. Now we're going to talk a lot about something called gatherings today. And we'll bring that into context a little bit more detail in just a moment. But I would like to just focus, if we can, on, I guess, a little bit of background to yourself. I've given the, the audience a bit of an introduction there, but you obviously have developed a new proprietary method that really does help organizations to define, diagnose and adjust what, something that you call their gatherings to bring people together. What I'd really love to know if you can is just kind of, I guess, give some foundations to that. Tell the audience a little bit about your background and how you went on to or go about really to, to research and develop this new method. Yeah,
0: sure. The theme of my whole career has been gathering. It took me a long time to figure that out. I can't say it was intentional, you know, 20 years ago. But I've been gathering across three different disciplines, as, as you mentioned. One, to entertain, to create experiences to help people laugh and maybe feel something. I really realized during that time I wanted to develop people in real life instead of characters on a page, which took me to the learning and development world, where I created or scripted experiences, learning experiences that help people learn, engage, you know, behavior change. And then I realized I wanted to help develop entire organizations and not just individuals, and that led me to my master's in organizational psychology. Where I realized there's still this reliance on a tool of gathering to bring people together in order to produce some sort of effect. And that led me to be really curious to figure out what all these gatherings across these three disciplines have in common, what we learn about them to make ours more effective.
2: Right. So what was the point that in your in your research and your, your career that you suddenly realized, I guess, that some of the organizational change programs you were seeing, HR and L&D professionals or business owners try and sort of transform organizations? When, when was the moment you realized they, they weren't sticking, that perhaps they weren't working? And what was it then that really inspired you, I guess, to, to utilize your method to help change that narrative?
0: You know, there's a, a broad tap on the shoulder, which is I was working in learning and development for a very long time. And You know, as some of your listeners probably will relate to, the solution that everybody wanted was a gathering. So can you create a training class? Can you run an offsite, et cetera? The solution was to put a bunch of people in a room, give them a piece of content, and that will, you know, snap your fingers and produce some change. And as we know, that doesn't actually happen very often. Maybe it's a two or three day sort of hit of something different, and then it tends to have a steep drop off. But there was one specific moment, actually, where one of the companies I was working for our ceo wanted this culture change he wanted to you know create a culture of feedback there wasn't a lot of constructive feedback going on in the organization and we know you know the dangers of that and he wanted to bring in a guest speaker who could ignite that change and he thought you know, good intention, this one event will really have a one a positive effect. I knew that it wouldn't and I tried to communicate why and what we could do differently, but I couldn't find the language or the influencing skills to do so. And that led me to really understand how can I create a framework in a language that takes this ambiguous or amorphous thing called change or gathering and make it more concrete and easier for people to understand.
2: That makes a lot more sense. So for those listening to this, I think you've already made it clear, but just to make sure we've really got the definition nailed, what do you mean when you refer to as gatherings and what what can they be? I mean, you've mentioned a classroom example potentially there. What else could gatherings be and how would you define it? Yeah,
0: thanks for asking. You know, I think some of us view gatherings gathering as, you know, a meeting or a dinner party or a workplace happy hour, because my background is in communication, I view gathering as a communication skill. And I define it as bringing people together to match a message with a moment. So some piece of content I want to share to produce some effect, and maybe we'll talk about the effects in a little bit. But in our companies, it looks like training classes, offsites, all-hands, town halls, webinars, conferences, new hire orientation. Those are examples of gatherings that, you know, Many of us, whether virtual or in person or hybrid,
2: are happening all the time. Well, that's a really clear definition. So thank you for that. So in your experience, then, to take it to the next level, and you've mentioned, again, some of these already, but why are you, with so many different types of gatherings? Why are they often so poor, resulting mm-hmm. in change that, that does stick? Because all the things you've mentioned are things that I've definitely attended and definitely been part of in the past and continue to even set up myself. And maybe that's why some of the things I want to implement and change does isn't sticking. So I'd love to know more about why they often aren't necessarily generating the best results.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think a couple of things I tend to see over and over again, but really I'll highlight a few reasons why we tend to fall into these, these pitfalls. One is a really big over-reliance on content. So we tend to think first, what slides should we put in? What words do we want to say versus starting with the effect? So, you know, if we're, we're good agents of change, we want to think about what do we need from the people that we've gathered? What's the A to B? Um, what do we want to be different at the end? What do we need from people? And usually it's one of four choices, but we tend to start with content and not just content, but a lot of it. What I call stuffing the suitcase, meaning we put so many slides in the deck, so much information that people actually can't retain it from a cognitive perspective. And so what we think is efficient is actually ineffective because we we view content as the lever to change people. And it's not. The lever to actually help people change is not our content, it's people's connection to the content. And our job when we're gathering is trying to increase that connection. Typically, if I'm putting a gathering together, I already care about the content. I'm already connected. And my challenge as a leader or as a gatherer is to help people in the room feel that connection as well. So you know, stuffing the suitcase is one big reason why I think we, we you know, fall into some gathering bad habits. Um, another is our, our focus on production of the gathering. So the logistics, the slide deck, the room versus the consumption of the material. So how will people retain or remember or be motivated to do something differently because of what you shared? And that's the connection to change and change management, right? So how do we create the conditions for change to happen? So I I help people really understand that some small different choices that they make can have different effects that help their gatherings be more long-lasting versus these one-and-done events.
2: I think that's a really, really fantastic definition. I'm sure I'm not alone in listening to this and just going, you know what, I've been to a lecture or even I've given one in the past where I've definitely been guilty of some of that content stuffing. you feel like I think it's a little bit, in my view, uh, maybe associated with kind of that 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 complex that the inferiority complex or the uh, imposter syndrome, whatever it is, where you want to put it in to kind of show that you know what you're talking about but actually in doing so you could lose the engagement of the listeners which is really really interesting I've certainly been to talks where that where I've been in the room but not present because I myself have switched off because the content is just too much and I was just wonder if you ever in the work that you're doing with HR leaders do you, do you find that some of the reasons that people do that is due to things like imposter syndrome where they feel like they need to give more information in order to I guess really sort of show that they they are an authority in that space is that something that you've come across
0: yeah you know i think i have a lot of empathy for why we have these habits and one of the things i tell people is you know our mindset actually really affects the choices that we're making when we gather and so you know to put it bluntly if if our mindset is one that people need our information you know, I'm the hero, I'm there to to fix people, they need my help, I will approach gathering quite differently than if my mindset is one of, you know, my employees already have the answer, I'm there to create the conditions, you know, people are already whole and don't need to be changed, you know, our mindset really affects how we might approach these gatherings. And fear is a big part of it, you know, the imposter syndrome that you mentioned. People want to be in control. They don't want to give over ownership of the gathering to other people. So, yeah, I think our tendencies come from all of these really natural places, and and hopefully, it can help people do something a little differently.
2: You mentioned earlier on, um, and you, you said we might come to it later. I think it's probably a good time to bring it up. Tell us a little bit more about the gathering effect and why we should consider that.
0: Sure. So, you know, I think one of the things I tell people to start with is don't start with the content, start with the effect. You know, gathering is a tool. It's a hammer that can have multiple different uses, right? So we want to start with what's the effect that we want. And typically, you know, there's four different effects that we can create with our gatherings. One is compliance, right? Just sort of check the box. I'd say a lot of our gatherings fall into that effect, whether or not we realize it. A second is to inform people. So, you know, sharing information. An analogy might be for music. People are listening to your song. I saw all the guitars in your background. Uh, yeah. Nick, so maybe this music analogy will track with you. So inform, people will listen to your song. Compliance, maybe they bought a ticket, right? Entertain, another outcome we might, or another effect we might create, which basically people will sing the song with you. But the outcome or effect that people want the most often is engagement. And what engagement means is that people are singing the song on their own and sharing it with somebody else, right? And engagement is about buy-in, behavior change, ownership, really that lasting change that goes beyond one person. And so, part of what I help people do is clarify the effect from the start. What do we need? And then, once we have that clear, we can again make different choices that create different kinds of effects. And one caveat here I think, as I'm sharing these effects, most people will think, well, obviously, I want engagement for every gathering. Why wouldn't I want engagement? And just, you know. Not every change effort needs engagement. If we're rolling out a new HRIS or a new benefits program, maybe compliance is enough. We want to really save engagement for when we really need um, our employees who rally around something
2: new. I love that. I think what's really interesting is the, the principles you're talking about, Lindsay, can be used in so many different facets of work. It's not just about being a presenter in a room and being worried about your PowerPoint presentation to I don't know, ten people, one person, a boardroom to hundred people. It's actually about the day to day, as well as you mentioned there. It could be an HR mm-hmm. professional launching a new HRIS system or benefits platform, as, as you highlighted. And actually, as you say, it, it's about getting instruction across and talking about the compliance piece. But actually, the, the, the toolkit that you're giving us here in this in this conversation is is valid in so many different aspects of work and I think that probably wasn't necessarily something I was expecting on today's interview so I find it really really <laughs> fascinating I think something I'd like to know a little bit more about if I can ask is what then is the difference between you know the push and the pull or the one size fits all approach versus sort of personalized gatherings because obviously they can change depending on the kind of group or the kind of gathering that we're part of but do do those differences impact outcomes and culture and things like that as well I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more
0: yeah Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the first step is, what's the effect that we want? And then second question is, great, so how do we do this? (laughs) What kind of choices are you talking about, right? And so what I help people do is I show them this framework that I've hinted at and basically helps people diagnose where they are today with their gatherings. It's a two by two framework. I'll walk through it. I'll walk through it quickly with you. Essentially, right. it, there's a there's two axes or two spectrums. On one side is push and pull. So maybe as I'm talking about these axes, you can think about gatherings that you've been a part of and maybe where they would fall. So push and pull. Push is, you know, from an employee or participant experience, I'm quite passive. I'm just I'm there just to consume content. Maybe the gathering is mandatory. I don't really want to be there. But that's the gathering that's done at me. A pull gathering is done with me. I'm active, I'm co-creating, I'm contributing, and, you know, I-, I want to be there. So think of, you know, my background is uh, started in comedy. So entertainers or comedians, these are all pool gatherings. We didn't just buy a ticket, but our laughter and our participation is necessary for the entertainer, right? They need us and they show us why. Yeah. So that's that's push and pull. On the other side is one size fits all and personalized. So one size fits all. Is it about anyone? You know, the gap, I'm, I'm sort of invisible. It doesn't really matter who's there. The material could apply to anyone. There's no reason for me to be in the room. It's like riding a ride at Disneyland. It doesn't really matter who's in line. You're going to all go on the same Matterhorn ride. Personalized, this gathering is made about me. Um, I have a personal connection to it. I feel visible, and needed for the success of the gathering. And, you know, the difference between one size fits all and personalized is emotional connection. And, you know, we know emotion is really important for change. It drives most of our decisions and our behavior. And so what I help people do is increase the sense of emotional connection to so the people feel, you know, feel is the key word, motivated to do something differently.
1: Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting, and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Great. And
2: for those interested, you've got a, a really good illustration of how this works on your website, which I'll put a link to, which is, a, you can find more at thegatheringeffect.com. But there's a there's a section of the website uh, labelled Approach, which really does bring this into great focus for those that are trying to, you know, visual learners perhaps, or for those that are trying to, to take this information in. It's a really, really good site that gives you loads of, of great links about, about the work that you do. But actually that, it's a really good graphic that I think kind of puts everything you've said into, into real context. So it's, uh, it's worth worth taking a look at. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So taking it forward then to the really important, the crux of the matter, if, if you will, Lindsay, what are the characteristics then for the HR leaders and L&D professionals that are listening to this that can really help them to lead gatherings that are going to result in lasting change that, as you say, does engage and really does stick going forward?
0: Sure. Yeah. So I'm so glad that people are interested in doing gathering a little differently, right? I think the pandemic one lesson was just maybe we have a higher bar now for gathering. You know, these lessons apply to both virtual and in-person, but I think maybe we've we finally realized that that we can do things a little bit differently. So maybe I'll just share a few concrete things that folks can do differently to help their gatherings be more pull and push. Is that is that helpful Nick?
2: That'd be amazing. Yeah, anything that the okay, listeners can take great. away would be wonderful.
0: For sure. So, you know, we talked about pull and personalize, meaning how can we make a gathering that's done with people and about them versus at them and about anyone, which is more compliance oriented. So, a few things that I really suggest people do. So, how can we make our employees more more passive? Or sorry, more <laughs> active instead of passive? A couple things. One, how can we give people a role or or, or ownership of the gathering? So a few ways to do that. Can you put a question on the screen as the gathering starts that primes people to start thinking about the topic? Can you ask them for feedback? How do you pull people to pay attention instead of push them to pay attention? So maybe you give them a prompt to pay attention to. You give them choices as the gathering goes. You ask for their feedback. These are all ways to elevate someone's status, show them that they're needed, and maybe also show them what they know already. So uh, I think, again, these are just pull moves that help people be more more active and less passive. So these aren't massive changes that people are making to every single gathering and rewriting them completely. They're just sort of the sprinkles on top, I would say, that help them be more
2: effective. Sure. I was just going to ask, um, you mentioned the pandemic at the start. I was wondering if the pandemic had, had, had changed the way that people are approaching gatherings. Perhaps we'll come to that. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut in, but just uh, the no. uh, pandemic it had an impact.
0: I mean, for sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that in just a second. Sure. So, so the personalized, how do we go from one size fits all to personalized? What we're trying to do here is really help people feel connected to the material and emotional connection. Musicians do this all the time when they, they introduce a song, you know, they start, well, some of them do, they start by saying, you know, this is a song about heartache, or this is a song about your first love, or what they're trying to do is connect what they care about, their content to you. They're trying to find that commonality, that universality. And so, you know, some of my lessons come from entertainment, but just You know, we see this happening all the time. We're capable of it ourselves. So how do we increase personalization? One way is just to give people time to debrief or digest the information. So especially if you're stuffing the suitcase and your gathering is full of content, you know maybe your new higher orientation is a day long event where it's just presenter after presenter. I hope it isn't, but if it is, at least at the end of the day or every hour, Give people a chance to talk about what they've learned with somebody else. Help them put it in their own words so they feel more personally connected. You can have the group create something together, like a shared artifact. So, you know, what's unique about this group in this one moment in time and this one gathering? Maybe it's a, a word cloud that just, you know, describes what people are taking away. It doesn't have to be something crazy or expensive or cumbersome, but just how do you signal people's contributions and their unique. Their uniqueness in the gathering. Um, And then, you know, finally, I think the key here to personalized gatherings, and, and this is connected to what you said about how this work applies more broadly, maybe just communication in general, is to really clarify what's at stake for people in the gathering. You know, what do they care about? What are their needs? And so in the start of the gathering, giving people a chance to share, you know, why are they there? What are they hoping to learn? It doesn't mean that you have to take all that information and change your gathering widely, but just giving people a chance to share their experience is really powerful to helping them feel like, you know, they belong.
2: Sure. That's really, really interesting. And to take it back then to the pandemic piece, I mean, people are now changing the way that they gather, particularly with with the massive introduction of of video-based sort of connecting now, whether it's through, you know, due to remote working or, you know, working across global boundaries, whatever it might be. Have you, has that kind of change in the way that we work now revealed any, any additional insights for you about, you know, how we can run successful gatherings?
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, at least, I think it's revealed a lot. It's really easy to blame Zoom as the, the reason why gathering is challenging, but I think that that's sort of unfair. There's always someone behind Zoom choosing how to use it. There's a human behind the technology. And so it's not Zoom that hinders our connection. It's our choices. So, you know, part of what do is help people make different choices that fuel that connection. You know, a second lesson for me, and I'm curious what you learned too, Nick, is I think the struggle we have with gathering is not sharing information. We can do that. We can send slide decks. We, you know, that's not why we're here. The struggle we had with gathering is how to connect. So... People will say, oh, it's easier when we're in person. Sure. Content may be easier to share, but it doesn't mean that people will be affected by it. So no matter the channel, you know, some gatherings bring us closer and some bring us further further apart. It's up to us to close that gap and increase the value.
2: Sure. I mean, we're certainly as as a recruiter seeing massive changes in the way that people are communicating. Certainly. I mean, you see Um, a lot more introverted applicants, if if you like, sort of being more successful in their interview processes because they are, you know, perhaps they don't have to show their whole selves necessarily in a a video-based conversation. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of communication potentially lost, the the body language piece, the the ability even to, to think laterally sometimes because when you are on a video screen, you can hide certain cues behind the screen that people can't see, which means not necessarily giving a true account of, your knowledge or what you know, you're using visual cues in a different way. There's a, there's a whole sort of layer and layers and layers of complexity that I think it's brought in. Massive benefits on one side in terms of speed and efficiency and the ability to interview people anywhere in the world instantly. But I think there there are also some drawbacks to it, for sure. Certainly from a recruitment perspective, it's been, a, it's been a, a massive sea change in the way that people recruit talent and the way that people interact with talent. I think we're still sort of learning those lessons as we go.
0: Oh yeah, there's still so much to learn, right? And if we can view this time as one where we can learn and experiment, I think that that will help us help us tremendously.
2: Something I thought was really interesting on your website. You've got a, a fantastic blog, and I will put a link for anyone's interested oh, in signing you. up to your insight. It's, it's brilliant. Some of the articles you write in there they're absolutely fascinating. There's one that I thought was really on the. Uh, I'm right on the button, I guess, for, for things that are happening certainly here in the UK. In terms of aligning values and behaviours with employee engagement, at the moment, it's, it's a big topic within the world of HR. Making sure that cultures are positive and inclusive, and and that they are um, being represented in the right way. That people are aligning values and behaviours with the way they want their employees to work, and the way that they're their employees, and so on and so forth. And you actually have done a really interesting case study here, which is it links to gatherings really closely. But you, your case study was how to activate new company values, because sort of a, a sideline to that article is announcing company values is one thing, and we're seeing a lot of companies do that. But we all know that if they're not lived, if they're not really enacted, if they're not really embraced, then it's kind of a worthless announcement. It only works if people if if people then really do embrace those behaviours and 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 those values in the right way. So. What did you find through that case study? What were some of the results that you found in relation to that particular subject? Because aligning value company values with employee behaviors is is absolutely something that's right at the top of HR agendas at the moment. So I'd love to get some insights into some of the research findings that you discovered.
0: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for those kind words. You know, so so to me, the way that we're approaching change, the way that we're approaching gathering, it's the same. the same characteristics that make a gathering stick are the same that make change stick, which is why this tool is so commonly used and why I'm so interested in it. So part of the work I get asked to do is, hey, can you help us launch our values? We're gonna put a gathering together around it. Or can you help us redo our values? The first time it didn't really stick, can you help us figure out why? And I think that's fascinating. Often what I find, and it's probably not a surprise to you, is that the gatherings that didn't stick tend to be push, in one size fits all, whereas the ones that do tend to be pull and personalized, meaning we're engaging people around the effort, it's being done with them. And our, our basic change management 101 playbook is, is really being followed versus just leaders on a stage sort of announcing the values and hoping that people fall in line. To me, and this may be a little bit controversial, you know, there's a reason why different companies have the same values, but sometimes they're just words on a wall in one company and they're lived in another. So it's not, you know, necessarily what values we are sharing. It's how we share them. It's how we make that change happen. So, you know, so much of my work is in the how and not necessarily the what. You know, the I think the big aha from that project was basically that, you know, this change was going, I'll explain it a little bit, but a company that I worked with, they had announced values a year prior and found that they didn't stick in the organization. There was some skepticism. They weren't the right ones. And so not even a year later, they were going to change them inside a company. They company wow. had doubled at that point. And you know, there was a, a group of employees who were probably going to be pretty resistant to that change and a group of new employees who really had no idea what the culture was. That had a big effect on recruitment, had a big effect on retention. But we knew the the, the business reasons that this change was going to be made. And so my number one job was to bring employees who may have been skeptical, who um, we could use as change agents to slowly drip the new values into the company. So by the time they were announced, they weren't a surprise. And people already believed and knew that they were real and that they were there. So, you know, the launch event, this one sort of town hall, by the time we got to that town hall, everybody already knew the values. And this was just meant to cement them and tell the stories about it. So I, I think the lesson here, you know, so quickly is that we tend to focus on this one launch event, this one gathering. And really, that's I think the first part or one of the, the smallest parts of, of the launch and the change management is everything that happens around it. How does this live in the organization? How is it supported in our people management or people management and people practices? And how do we have the business support to make sure it sticks? It's it's a larger effort than I think we give ourselves time and credit for. And instead, we spend, we tend to spend the time on writing the new values. And I think we should spend the time on how we're going to share them with the company instead.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it makes total sense. And actually, it links back a little bit right, to what you were saying earlier about the, about the content. It's not always about content stuffing or suitcase stuff, I think as you put it, about, you know, just stating what the values are going to be. It's much more about getting the engagement and people participating and, and taking something away from it, which seems to make a lot more sense to me when you look at it that way around. So, Lindsay, are there any other sort of common gathering or change management pitfalls that you can that you can share with our listeners to, to, to help them take something away?
0: Sure. You know, as I mentioned, you know, my work and research has shown me that the gathering that stick equals the change that sticks. Same characteristics. So there's, there's five conditions that I tend to see across all, you know, engaging or pull and personalised gatherings. And, and maybe I'll share those five conditions with you. And the reason why I say conditions and, and not content is again, the thesis of my work is that change doesn't happen because of content. Our change change happens because of our connection to the content. How do we create that connection? Well, it's through the conditions that we create. And you know, that's leadership's job is to create the conditions for people to do their best work, to create the conditions for this change to stick. So. I'll walk through these five and um, I'd love to know what you think of them. But My the best. first is the first is to see and recognize your, your audience or your employees. It sounds basic, I know, right? But when I'm putting a gathering together or I'm launching a change, do I know the needs of the people that I've gathered? Do I know what's at stake for them? Versus, you know, just what I care about in HR. So, you know, what does this new performance management process give us? It gives us clarity and transparency, not just a new tool. The second is to make it just for them. So even if I've done this gathering or I've done this leadership roadshow a hundred times, how do I make it specific to that one group and that one moment in time so that people feel listened to? And I'm not saying to change the gathering every single time you do it. No, it's just to make it feel like it's made for that, that one group. One way to do that is just to, when an audience reacts, you react along with them. Comedians are experts at this, right? A third is to give the audience ownership, and we mentioned this when we talked about poll gatherings. How can we give our employees skin in the game? You know, people will own what they help create. This is Organizational Development 101. So when we talked about that values example, I think one of the reasons why that case study was so successful is a group of employees had the ownership. They were creating projects that help the, the, the values feel real inside the organization. And when, when the values were announced, it came from employees and not from leadership. A fourth is to connect to a universal concept. So what can everyone nod their head about? What can everyone relate to? This is why metaphors and analogies and stories are so helpful. This is the musician example. You know, This song is about heartache. What does that do? It helps everyone sort of start on a common page and, and understand and sort of click into what this song or this gathering is about. And then the fifth is to allow agency and choice. So this is one that some people have a hard time with. It's to treat your audience or your employees like adults because guess what? They aren't adults. So how can we give people a sense of choice or elevate their status, even if a gathering is mandatory? Parents do this a lot. You know, they'll say to their kids, do you want an apple, do you want an orange? They have to eat a piece of fruit, but at least they have choice in how they get there. So, you know, if you, you want people to do a prompt in a gathering or answer a question, maybe give them a choice of three questions that they can answer. So these small choices lead to the, cre- the conditions that help create this change and help it stick. Again, much more than what we share, it's how we share it that matters
2: fantastic i mean i think i recommend anyone listening to this still rewind that little section back and listen to it again it gave me a look at a, a wry smile listening to it i can make sort of uh connections in my mind with the things that i've seen where i've personally been more engaged or less engaged i think the um comedic example was a brilliant one i went to well i, I go and see quite a lot of comedy and it, it's the way that they personalize every experience when you go whether it's down to location or and we have the same with pantomimes here in the uk as well you know it, it's it's really important that you that they're able to personalize it even though the script might be, you know, Jack and the beanstalk, but actually if they're able to bring in some personal references and make it feel like it's just for you, you you tend to be a lot more engaged than something that was just much more generic.
0: Maybe I'll give you just one concrete example of this from my favorite comedian, if that's if that's helpful. You know, by the way, I think the way that we tend to think that we should personalize a gathering is by adding a QA at the end. That's helping it be personalized to the three people who have a question, but not yeah. to everybody else. Yeah. So Hannah Gadsby. Do you know who Hannah Gadsby is?
2: I'm not familiar. I'll definitely uh, take a oh, look
0: at- You need to watch her. Um, she's a comedian who has specials on Netflix, like Nanette. Anyway, in her most recent special, Douglas, she did this brilliant thing that pulled and personalize the gathering from the, the start with one sentence. She got on stage, she greeted her audience and she said, hi, everyone. So just so you know, the show is not done. I need to cut about three or four minutes. So I'm going to look to you, my audience to tell me what to cut in one line. She told her audience, she was making it just for them. She was giving them ownership. She was giving them agency and choice. She was showing that she needed them. Just these brilliant, small choices that pull people in, show them that they matter and that they're important. And so just, you know, it starts with good intentions, right? But small choices can have a really big effect.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant example. I'll definitely uh, definitely be checking her. Hannah Gatsby, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes as well if I can if <laughs> people are interested in doing the same. It's been a fascinating conversation about gatherings. I, I feel like I've discovered so much. I've been making notes here for, for some talks I've got to, to deliver myself and some gatherings I've got to run myself. So I'm hoping to take some of these learnings and, and being able to implement them almost immediately. So I'm hoping the listeners will are feeling the same. And, it, and I definitely recommend sort of rewinding part of this and listening to it again and just picking out the best bits. It's a real... Real uh, pleasure to have had you on the show, Lindsay, to talk to us through some some brilliant examples of how gatherings can work and how we can really make change stick. I'm going to open the L&D Vault, if I may, which are going to be some four short, sharp questions for you.
1: Opening the
2: L&D Vault. Question one. In hindsight, what is the one thing you now know that you'd wish you had known when you began your your varied career? Oh,
0: goodness. One thing I... No. Oof. Um so many things. How do I pick just one? And that dreams change.
2: Nice. Nice. Great. If you had one piece of advice that you could give to the world on this platform, what would it be?
0: <laughs> only connect. It's a, it's a quote by Ian Forrester. That's the, the front page of my book, but only connect. How do we help people connect and connect more with themselves and other people?
2: Fabulous. If you had the opportunity, what advice would you give a younger self just starting out in this new world of work?
0: Oh, goodness. Be much more patient and don't be so convinced that your first job is going to be the only job
1: you ever have.
0: And that that is your career for the rest of your life.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, And last but not least, what is the guiding principle or behavior that you've seen in every great leader that you've personally worked with?
0: Mm I had a wonderful boss who taught me very early on that his job as a people manager was to work for me. I don't work for him. And it's something that I told all of my direct reports on day one that my job was to work for them and not vice versa.
2: Fabulous. I think it's a great example. Lindsay Kaplan, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the H R N D podcast today. And I want to just to direct everyone, if I can, to your wonderful website, which is gatheringeffect.com. Now, when you go to that site, there is a place you can sign up for Uh, Lindsay's monthly insights all about how to make change sticks. It's absolutely relevant to all of you HR and L&D professionals out there that are implementing change, going through some kind of HR transformation program, looking at your values and behaviors, whatever it might be, sign up to that and get uh, Lindsay's monthly insights direct into your inbox. I highly recommend that you do that. And while you're there, you can also navigate her website blog, which I have to say is fantastic. You can read the article that we discussed in the podcast today about how to activate new company values but there's lots more in there as well how to communicate your gathering so people want to attend four steps to determine if you need a gathering six steps to create an offsite gathering that sticks and so much more so i highly recommend you do check that out just to mention it again it's gatheringeffect.com but there will be a link in the show notes that will take you straight there as well if you're interested. And just to mention as well, Lindsay um, has been on another fantastic podcast, Brave New Work, Becoming a Better Gatherer. So I'll also put a link to that show as well, if you want to find out more about how to become a better gatherer yourself. Are there any other links you'd like to share on the show, Lindsay, while I have you here?
0: No other links, but maybe I can leave with one call to action or one takeaway, just to practice what I preach So if people just do one thing differently, start with the effect that you want versus the content that you want to share. Really consider what you need from the people that you're gathering versus just going straight to the slide deck. Start there and let me know how it goes.
2: Fantastic. I will also put a link to your LinkedIn profile as well. So if people are interested in linking in with Lindsay Kaplan today, then you can go straight to that URL, which again will be in the show notes. And please do reach out to connect. And of course, if you are an HR L and D professional listening to this podcast and you have an HR, HRIS, LD related vacancy or something else that you need some specialist HR recruitment support with, please do get in touch with me or any of my wonderful team. You can find out more about ourselves at www.jgarecruitment.com. and my personal contact details will also be in the show notes. Just leads me to say a huge thank you today to Lindsay Kaplan for joining me on the show. And I look forward to bringing you the next episode of the HR L and D podcast real soon. Take care of yourselves and each other and thank you ever so much, Lindsay.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, Please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.